word, but first I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, um, we just see how the enemy has robbed the church in the last um, at least hundred years, as, as hardly a single book had been written um, in about a hundred year period about fasting, even though so much of the scriptures devoted to um, showing your powerful, um, the powerful way you move when we seek you with our hunger, Lord. And so um, thank you for awakening this church, this congregation, uh, to how you move and how you want to move in our midst. And um, thank you for moving this congregation towards crying out to you on a big time intentional way uh, on an annual basis. And so, Lord, as your word goes forth, radical passages showing just your faithfulness to move as we cry out to you and seek you and long for you. Would you stir in our hearts to be a part of this, God? Um, we don't want this to be a work of the flesh. We don't want to be this a work of legalism or some trip that would be put on people. But we pray that your spirit would stir up in our hearts to press in and to seek you with all that we have um, a week from now, Lord. And so just be glorified uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming upon our fourth week-long fast that we've done corporately here as a church at Calvary Chapel, God has worked in this church in tremendous ways. Um, I saved it for the end of my sermon last service, um, but I didn't really get to touch on it. Um, you know, last week, we, um, we laughed during the week because, like, we weren't hungry. Like, we would come here and we would read, and every time we would come here, like, our hunger went away. You know, and, and then we go out and kind of go about doing just like whatever, our job and stuff. And we'd get hungry and we'd come here and the hunger would go away. And we laughed. We're like, what is God doing, you know? And uh, truly when Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, we saw that happening here. And, um, and so we laughed. And then as like Thursday came along, I specifically remember Anthony. We had this big reading circle in here. I remember Anthony like, I don't want this to end like, I don't want this week to end. Then I have to go back to, like, not being with you guys so much during the day. I don't want it to end. And so one thing that's just incredible is out of the week of fasting and, and reading and prayer, um, some men kept going. Actually, the whole church kept going in, fa in fasting and in reading for, like, two more weeks. We just couldn't stop. We just kept doing it. We kept meeting three times a day. Kept, couldn't stop. Like, God wouldn't let us stop. And, uh, and then as that kind of just life kind of took over again, um, some men in the church continued meeting at 5.30 in the morning uh, up until haying season. And then uh, when Adam was haying and guys were working in construction and stuff, they couldn't. And then they started it back up again in November again. And they've been reading 5.30 in the morning every day. Like God did a work in our church that like hasn't ended yet. And so uh, we're so excited for what he's going to do this year. In fact, the first year we did this, God did that as well. Like I can't stop. I can't. And, that, and then for a couple months in the morning, people still met to pray at 6 a.m. So, um, like, how does that happen? Like, <laughs> by the Holy Spirit. And so, just to encourage you, he's doing great things. He's going to do great things uh, in this next week, uh, the week coming. And, uh, and so, as we come to this subject of fasting, we're aware that it's, like, it's a dropped ball in the church. It's a subject that's not taught or preached on uh, very much anymore. And so um, we're going to have a few testimonies to just encourage you guys um, that 
like it can be done and when you are faithful to present your bodies as a living sacrifice he's not going to let you down um and so praying through who could share testimonies um we've got jesse lined out for next week he's going to share what god did um but my mind kept going to the hibs family um for the last two years they've been at each fasting and prayer time and uh on saturday night we and we will this year we break the fast with a big soup potluck thing and then we go around and we just share how god moved in our midst that week and that is like such a special time um that's like a feast that you'd go to jerusalem for and like worship and celebrate and um and just my mind whenever i think of that i you know i think of many of you but i also go to like the hibs family and them sharing and they have a couple teenage daughters that are um, athletes, they're rodeo cowgirls, they're volleyball players, they're track stars, you know, and somehow God's moved them to like set things aside and come and seek the Lord for two years. And, um, and, and God's been faithful to move in their life. So, um, as I told the Hibs, like anyone share, like, I feel like God wants you to share some testimonies. They had a family conference yesterday and, uh, they decided that Courtney and Miss Cheryl are the, uh, the culprits that have to come up and share their testimony, uh, and just encourage you guys in fasting this year. So. Um, about, we've been in, in Prineville now for about three years. And so it was about two and a half years ago and we'd been coming for about six months or so. And we were sitting in a service just like this and Rory began to, to, uh, to speak about fasting and was, you know, preparing the church and everyone to begin the church fast that was going to go for seven days and I, I'm I'm sure that when I my mouth seriously literally dropped into my lap and I'm just like what and um anyway I I was you know I've known about fasting in my years of, of being you know a believer but um after this last the, the first fast that we did here I also realized that I never fasted for the right reasons, you know, it was, so anyways, we, we, um, went and decided that we were going to go ahead and we were going to do this, you know, we're, we're teachable people, you know, we're going to, we're going to get in involved in this and do what our pastor's asking us to do. And so we entered into this and we got into it about, I'd say about two or three days maybe. And we, <laughs> we were struggling. Um, we really were struggling. We were griping at each other and grumpy. And Carly, just at the last service, just reminded me, you know, they were going to RPA at the time. And she went over there this one day when we finally had hit the head, you know, and she came home and she's like, they had pizza and popsicles today. And I had to sit and watch them. And she was just like, I don't want to do this. I'm so mad. And anyways, we, we had to kind of, um, we, we got together and we prayed and we talked and we just said, we're going to give this thing tonight and we're going to come back together in the morning and we're going to decide as a family whether or not we're going to continue because we were struggling. And the Bible talks specifically about walking around and, you know, that people can see that you're fasting and we were, it was showing. And so <laughs> we, we felt that wasn't a great testimony. So we, um, <laughs> so we, we did, we came back the next morning, all of us prayed and, and Dean, you know, he travels to work and he's gone all the time and bless his heart. He's over there all alone. At least we had the support of each other and our, and our church to, to get us through. And he's over there by himself. And so he was entering into his doing it as well. And so we all just prayed and, and we got together the next day and it was, God is so faithful. This is what is so incredibly good about God. And even though 
we didn't even know what or why we were doing it. God honored our obedience in it, and he met us. And he led us to the scripture in Isaiah 58. And um, we are even looking at this scripture in our core groups right now because it's just so applicable. But um, rather than reading the whole thing to you, basically, God showed us that we were, we had the wrong heart, you know? And there, you know, it, we were obedient to do it, and I believe that that's why God met us in it, because we were obedient to do it, but our heart was wrong about it, and so we were struggling. And so when he showed us this, and he showed us that his fast is about us surrendering our sin and um, looking into ourselves, allowing the Lord to do kind of some inside work, um, because as those things begin to happen and we allow ourselves to be exposed that way, um, and we're honest about who we are and some of our conduct and the things that we do that are not honoring to God, he begins to change those things and work on us. And then what happens is, is that love and the compassion and our reaching out to others and the unity that we want from in our churches and in our communities, it all starts to become part of who we are, you know? And uh, so it was really, that was, that was it for, for us for the first one. It was a learning experience and we learned a lot. And so now we have a little bit more of an understanding about why we fast. And then Courtney's going to talk about last year. So last year, I was really pumped to do it again. I was just like, oh, man, okay, we made it through the first one. Let's, let's do this. You know, I felt like we could, you know, we'll totally be fine. And I was like, yeah, this is really good timing because I have so many questions. And I want them all answered this week. And so I got really discouraged because God just really started working in me from the very beginning. And I was like, why, like, why I'm feeling so lost right now? Like, I came in, I knew exactly what I wanted out of this thing, and he's just stopped me. He's like, Courtney, it's like, that's not what this is about. Like, this is a picture of something bigger. Like, you need to understand what it's like to fully surrender. And I thought I was doing that. I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast from food and from Facebook and from texting and from TV. And he said, that's good. That's really good, but that's for a week. He's like, I want, I want your whole life. And I was so nervous because I was like, well, it's my junior year. I really need to figure out where I'm going to college and what I'm going to do, where I'm going to live. And he said, you don't need to worry about that, you know. And I felt like the biggest impact for me was to be able to come here right before school for an hour and during the evening and meet with people and watch the transformation just just come to life in our church. And I was it was amazing to me. And it just gave me a piece that I've never felt before that, like, the Lord totally has it. He's like, you need to embrace the fact that I have your future. You need to let it go and just hold on to me. And that's where, that's where we were able to kind of rest as a family. So it was, it was really cool last year. I'm excited this year. So. Yeah, and he's preparing us for this year. And I've been spending some time in Proverbs a lot lately. And um, I found out that God has lots of material <laughs> to work with this year. So <laughs> I'm excited about what he's going to do. You know, and, and, you know, I can't say that I'm, you know, overjoyed about, you know, fasting for a week. It's just, you know, dying the flesh is always hard. Um, but the, the outcome and what the, the expectancy and the anticipation and just the excitement about what God's going to do totally overshadows you know, the little anxiety that I have about giving up food for a week or however I choose to, to fast. So I would encourage everyone to, to, 
to seriously pray and, and ask God where he would have you um, be this next week because, it, like Rory said, you won't, he, he never lets us down. He meets us in it no matter what our reasons are or how we enter into it. He meets us and shows us exactly where we need to be. So there we go. <laughs> Well, um, I got to tell you, there's not a lot of material out there to study on fasting. Um, in my searching and searching, um, there's just not a lot. And so a couple good resources are uh, God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. Uh, I know we had three copies in the foyer out there uh, available for checkout. I'm not sure if they got taken or not. But um, if you have one of those copies from last year, maybe if you get it back here to the church, it's a pretty inexpensive book on Amazon.com or on your Kindle. Um, also, I bought a book on Friday, um, Fasting by Scott, um, okay, Scott something, it was awesome, he has a great, like McDonald or something, or McInnes, or you know, whatever, write in Scott and Fasting and it'll come up, great book, um, I'll be getting into some of his things uh, next week, but um, I've, I've actually, in, in the fact that there's not a lot of resources, I've kind of overwhelmed myself with all that there is, actually. And so I'm going to trim my study down quite a bit today. You know, it's already 11, no, what is it, noon almost? Um, and I know that normally, you know, we try to get out of here at 11.30. If you guys could give me 45 minutes before you shuffle around and give me the death stares. Um, 45 minutes, okay, and then we'll have the worship team come on up. So, um, but I uh, want to uh, just encourage you. Uh, to come on and to get involved in this fast. We're going to just kind of look at what is fasting. This week we're going to do an Old Testament survey of fasting in the Old Testament. Next week we'll look at the New Testament and, um, and just pray that God will stir us to be a part of this. Um, one man wisely said that it's easy to speak of fasting when the stomach is full. You know, here we are, we're like, fasting, fasting, oh yeah, totally, I'm going to do that. You know, it's like a month out or something, but for me, uh, my flesh starts kicking in because I fasted the last four years, um, and my flesh is like, oh, you like the agony, do you? You know, and I'm like, no, I don't, you know, and, and so there's a bit attack on me. Like, I've actually, the last two years, been like, we're going to pretend like we've never done that before, <laughs> even though it's so powerful, our flesh is weak, right? And... Um, but the beautiful thing is, is people in the church that have been to the fast are like, when's the fast this year? When are we doing it? You're, we're doing it, right? Tell When is it happening? I'm like, praise God, you know, we need some leaders in this church. Um, but uh, in an email from my friend Sandy Adams, who's at Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain, Georgia, um, he wrote an email encouraging me in my fast one here. And uh, he misspelled the word fasting so that it said fatting. And, uh, and as you continued on, uh, he, you realize he'd made the mistake and he realized it after he'd sent the email and he writes back with his quick witted humor that he has. And he like, he, he wrote fatting. Now that's my kind of fasting. Um, and it's my kind of fasting as well. I love fatting for a week, but, um, fasting for a week. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Charles Spurgeon in one of his 1864 sermons, um, referred to a writing by an old Puritan, um, and, and this Puritan sermon was entitled, The Soul Fattening Institution of Fasting. And that's what fasting is. It's soul fattening. 
Uh, it's feeding you where you really, um, crucially need to be fed as a Christian in your heart, in your spirit, in your soul. Uh, in that sermon uh, in 1864, Spurgeon wrote this, what is fasting for? That seems to be a difficult point. It is evidently practiced oftentimes by our Lord and advised by him to his disciples, not a kind of religious observance that's in itself meritorious, but a habit when associated with the exercise of prayer, unquestionably helpful. I'm not sure whether we've not lost a very great blessing in the Christian church by giving up fasting. Then he quotes Martin Luther, whose body, like some others, was of a gross tendency. He felt, as some of us do, that in our flesh dwells no good thing, in another sense than the apostle meant it. And Martin Luther used to fast frequently. He says that his flesh was wont to grumble, quickening, or excuse me, dreadfully at abstinence from food. But fast he would. For he found that when he was fasting, it quickened his praying. I'm still quoting Spurgeon, by the way. There's a treatise by the old Puritan called The Soul Fattening Institution of Fasting. And he gives us his own experience that during a fast, he's felt more intense eagerness of soul in prayer than he'd ever done at any other time. Some of you, dear friends, may get to the boiling point in prayer without fasting. I do think that others cannot. So one thing out of many things that fasting does is it prompts us to prayer and it makes our prayer life very powerful, very deep, very intimate uh, and, and powerful. Not manipulating the Lord to answer prayers, but rather responding to the trial or the struggle or the need that we see needs to be met. We cry out to God and God in his faithfulness responds to us as we cry out to him. Scott McKnight is the name of the guy I read, uh, said, and he kind of defined fasting as this, Fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous sacred moment in life. Maybe you're going through something that you would say is a grievous sacred moment. It could be anything, something that really is shocking you, all right? Um, For some, maybe it's, you know you need to get saved. You know that you're a sinner, you're depraved, you're going to go to hell, and you need the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins. You know what? fast. You know what? Not to be saved, but we see that Saul on the road to Damascus, he's on his way to go put Christians in prison and he's been murdering Christians and a big bright light shone around him and Jesus appears to him and convicts him of his sin there on the spot. He sees that he has been persecuting the Christ, the Messiah. And so what is his response to that? Fasting for three days without food or water, what's called a total fast. Uh, And and so maybe that would be something like, man, I am like a wretch and this grace of God is incredible. How can I just stuff my face right now? Man, I need to, I want to seek him. I just want to mourn. I want to grieve for what my life has been. Uh, For others, it might be you've been diagnosed with something or you've lost a family member. These these sacred, grievous moments in life where, where it's a natural, inevitable response to go without food or water. For others, it might be you see sin in your life. And as we're going to read later on, Isaiah 58, uh, the yokes of sin and the bondage of sin and the chains of, of, of uh, bondage, man, it can be broken through these times, crying out to God with our fasting. 
Uh, fasting, as Scott McKnight said, is a response. It's a response to God's love and to his grace. You know that before Jesus saved you, you were at war with God. Ephesians tells us that you were a child of wrath and God's wrath was upon you. But while you were still a sinner, you were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleansed you of your sin. And where you were at once war with God, you, were, you, were, you weren't at war with God. Romans says you were war with God. That's who you were. And you were saved from that. And saved out of that, you were adopted, you were made a son or a daughter of God, you were given an, an inheritance, incorruptible. And it says in, in, uh, in a few different passages, in 1 John, we see that fellowship was restored with the Father, feather, fellowship was restored with the Son, and fellowship was restored with the Holy Spirit. The gospel brought us in and brought us near again with the Godhead. That is an incredible, incredible thing. When we have communion with God, once again, we're moved to fast and, and have him be our all. In fact, in John chapter six, verses 47 through 58, Jesus, believe it or not, has this passage that we could use to speak towards our fasting. When Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. All right, so where is Jesus saying our sustenance come, comes from? comes from him, he who is actually the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread. So the manna just pointed to Jesus where people would eat of it, it comes down from heaven and they wouldn't die. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of me, eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, not as your father the manna in our dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So we get our ultimate nourishment from communion with Jesus Christ, from knowing him, from feasting upon him and having relationship with the living God. It's why Habakkuk can write that even though there's no grape on the vine or olive on the tree or olive in the press to make oil, even though the stalls are empty and there's no livestock to eat, I will rejoice in the Lord. He makes my feet like deer's feet. I've got energy and strength and joy, even though old mother Hubbard goes to the cupboard and can't find her dog a bone, okay? You can have joy in the midst of depression. You can have joy in the midst of famine. Why? Because we have communion with Jesus and it satisfies our deepest hunger, all right? So a message on fasting is not superfluous or redundant to us. It's not, here we go again. It's that time of the year again when Rory gets on this fasting kick. Man, I reread my notes on fasting and I've taught this at conferences to pastors. I've taught this to other churches and I forget it, okay? We need to be reminded 
multiple times a year of this beautiful discipline of fasting. Now, the fasting talks about the fasting, the Bible talks about fasting dozens and dozens of times. No less than 70 times is fasting referenced in the Bible, even in bad ways, ways that you shouldn't fast. Um, fasting is essentially this. You're denying the physical wants and cravings, and you're seeking the spiritual, okay? Uh, your flesh is tugging on your, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, and you go, No sit down, all right? You put your flesh in its place, and it's saying, I am denying physical food because, God, I'm hungry for you, okay? Fasting takes the grumblings in your tummy. Russell and Laney have this little verbal Winnie the Pooh cloth book thing in in this little push this button, the honey, put the honey pot or whatever, and it's all, I got a rumble in my tumble, it's time for something sweet. You know, that's Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> you know? And when we hear the rumble in the tumble, we go, I am hungry for you, God. That's what we do during fasting. Fasting takes a physical longing and transposes it over to a physical or a spiritual key, a key that unlocks Doors where we say, just as I hunger, I'm hungry for you, God. Take my stomach and make it a longer for God. Sometimes we fast just to show God, amen. I don't live on bread alone. I live on every word that proceeds. And it's fasts like these where we're actually reading the word and not hungry that we actually get to see that played out. John Piper said, fasting is an expression of a longing for God with our hunger, all right? Uh, it's one thing to say, I really long for you, God. It's another thing to prove it. This is how much I long for you. I'm not eating. Sometimes I'm not drinking. I'm not on Facebook right now because I'm longing for you, God. I've got these growlings and pullings for everything in my life. Watch NBC TV on Tuesday night. You're not getting it, boy. You know, uh, want that Krispy Kreme donut. You know, what do we have? Tw Thriftway donut. They're still really good. Um, really, their maple bars are dandy. Um, you're not getting it, Okay. Because I am longing for God right now, and I'm proving it. But we like to forget that fasting is a reference to fasting from food, and, and I've done it. And, and while it's true that we can, and I encourage you to fast from things like maybe TV or Facebook or your smartphone or texting or whatever, you know, Starbucks, work. Hey, yeah, why not? I'm actually, that's in my notes. Don't jump ahead, Robert. <laughs> I think you meant it different than I did, though. Um, you know, when we are, we're told, yeah, fast from these things. Um, but then we say, and, and actually keep eating. Keep eating and then just fast from Facebook. We all know the cravings aren't the same. All right? Um, okay, so uh, in that book, Chosen Fast, God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. I'm going to quote him a few times today. But he says, when someone does not like the meaning of something in the Bible, they're tempted to so spiritualize it and rob it of its cutting edge. It can no longer cut the main. Uh, in the main, this is what the professing church, the evangelicals, have done with the biblical teaching on fasting. To fast, we are told, is not only to abstain from food, but anything that hinders our communion with God. Or they say fasting means to just do without, the practice of self-denial. 
We have only to widen the meaning long enough and, the, and it loses its cutting edge. The cutting edge is gone. It is true that there are many things that may hinder our communion with God and many things that we need to practice self-denial, but the fact still remains. To fast means not to eat, all right? And man, when your stumbling, stumbling, stomach is, is rumbling and groaning and crying out, God in his sovereignty and infinite wisdom has tied with an invisible line your stomach to your heart, your stomach to your soul, to your spirit, to the throne of God. Uh, We have a a quote here from Andrew Murray who wrote, With Christ in the School of Prayer. This is a guy that was a revivalist in Cape Town, South Africa in the 1860s. We're reading this book right now at The Pulse. In fact, this week at The Pulse, we're going to pray for our time of prayer and fasting. And we're going to read this chapter by Andrew Murray um, in, in this book. But he says in this chapter that fasting helps to express, to deepen, to confirm the resolution that we are willing to sacrifice anything, to sacrifice ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. So I'm not saying I long for you. I'm showing I hunger for God. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus says to John, it's done. I'm the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Maybe there's something going on in your life that that you you would just go to town during this fast and you would do a total fast. No food and no water, maximum three days, doctors say, okay? Um, No water for three days, okay? And, and, And you are pressing in with absolute intensity because Revelation tells you, if you thirst for me, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely. Isaiah puts it another way, and I love it, just the way he starts out this passage. He says, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Listen up, all right? You are spending your money, your time, and your energy to get fulfillment in things that will never fulfill So come and spend time in the spiritual wine, the spiritual milk, the spiritual bread. Let's eat of Jesus. Let's drink of Jesus. He will cause us to never thirst again. And yet within the church, we have people that you might call satisfied Christians. They're not satisfied in Christ. They're satisfied with other external elements. And they hear a teaching like this on fasting and they go, I have no... I don't even know where you're coming from, Rory. I, there's, I, I have no desire to be a part of something like this. I'm, I don't need my walk with Jesus to grow. What's that all about? You know, um, I, I'm good. Like, I'm really good where I'm at. And you know what? It's not a biblical Christian. The heart of a Christian should always be crying out more, more, more. I've been fasting once a, week, once a year for a week for four years now by the grace of God, and he's moved so powerfully in my life. And, and while the flesh wants to skip it or the flesh wants to do something else, and it might look like something else in the future, man, when, when I'm an 86-year-old guy or a 90-year-old guy, I want to be still more, more, you know? All right? I've not arrived, and I don't planning on arriving until I see Jesus face to face. It's like the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, that last book, the last battle, where all the kids and Lucy and Roger and whoever else is in it, 
the little mouse, Rika Cheek or something, you know, okay. They are all going towards the promised land, right? They're moving that direction and they aren't satisfied with stopping where they're at, even when things are pleasant. And what is the thing they keep yelling to each other? Higher up and further in, higher up and further in. And they're going through waterfalls and up waterfalls and through deserts and, you know, across seas. And they just keep saying higher up and further in until they're back with Aslan, the great lion king. That's us. That's a picture of us higher up, further in till the day our pulse stops. John Piper said, God rewards fasting because it is the cry of our heart that nothing in this world can satisfy but him. He must reward this cry because he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's kind of the John Piper desiring God uh, ministry theme. Uh, And that is, he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that's really the purpose. We'll get to that in a little bit. The purpose of fasting, worshiping Jesus, glorifying Jesus. We don't use fasting as a manipulation tool to God. Like he owes us now. I just spent a week starving. You owe me, God. I better see results. And you know what? Our hearts will go there and your heart will go there. You got to check yourself. All right. You got to repent of that heart. Instead, we're responding to the situations in our life or we're responding to knowing who our God is and we want more of him. And God responds, not because he's been manipulated by your clever little tool and you, and you got one up on him, but rather he sees his people who are called by his name humbling themselves and praying and seeking out. And he promises in Second Chronicles, I, I will hear and I will heal the land. I'm being glorified right now as Calvary Chapel of Crook County is saying, you're all I want. You're all I want. And though my flesh tries to get me distracted, here I am, God, and I'm proving it with my hunger. You're all I want. May the Holy Spirit awaken us to understand how important, how vital fasting is to our Christianity. When you see just this need that, that you desire a deeper, more intimate and powerful relationship with the Lord, I encourage you to fast. If you're in need of a healing or a miracle, I encourage you to come and to fast. Last year, we saw healings here at our church. Um, I had a nerve issue in my back that for months had been like really bothering me. And praise God, Dean Bonanno had the faith to come and to pray for me. And I was healed that day from this nerve issue. Aaron Mapes came in. Praise God, right? Yeah, amazing. Aaron came in. He had a throbbing headache. Uh, He pulled his car over on his way to the fast. One night, and, and he's like, I got to go. I gotta, he shared this maybe last week. I don't remember. Uh, I got to go home. This is horrible. And, and the Lord's like, what are you going to do? Like, have your headache at home now? Like, go to the church. And Kevin, you know, uh, Kevin, like, went up, and he's like, okay. Like, God wants me to pray for your healing. And headache went away. Didn't come back, you know. Uh, and so it is a time when God hears the growlings and the cryings and the longings of our heart and our soul and our stomach where he does heal. And he does work miracles. Uh, Are you in need of a touch of tenderness in your life? That God would make you a vulnerable individual who's willing to be open and to have your life used? Is there a a dream inside of you that only he can make possible? You know what? I've had some of my most vivid, incredible dreams um, in our weeks of fasting here at this church. In fact, the first fast we did here, God showed me something. And we had interpretation time over this dream. Uh, And then uh, Lindsay and I are in a time where um, that dream could be coming true right now. 
and I was um, prepping for this teaching on fasting yesterday down in my gym, in my gym like working out, lifting like 15 pounds. You know, I'm like, mm, you know, and I'm listening to a teaching on fasting and I like dropped my little barbells, you know, the little pink ones that, <laughs> did I hear a pin drop, you know? And I dropped it and I was winded, but not because of what I was, I was just like, God, like I needed to be reminded of this. And then as I was listening, God reminded me of a dream that I had at this, and I'll probably get into it either next week or during the fast or something. And I'm like up against the concrete wall in our basement sobbing because God reminded me of, of what he wants to do. And um, it's a big thing in our life and I'll probably get into it later, but um, something that I will be fasting and yearning and longing for God to move in our life has to do with adopting a kid if you're like wondering what it is but um so had a dream a very vivid dream of what it would be like and um anyways it was in the time of fasting and so and and other dreams and then people coming in like i had this dream and uh and you know what man god will use dreams to speak to you during these times of fasting are you in need of a fresh encounter with the lord maybe you look at your christianity and you look at the book of acts and you look at those christians and, and you're like is this the same word that we use? Are we translating things right? Like not, what, you know? And my encouragement is, you know what? These men in the book of Acts were men and women just like you. But what we see is they took time to fast and pray and press in and long for God in their life. And God faithfully moved in their lives and empowered them to be witnesses. That's how the gospel got from Judah to Prineville, Oregon. Because men and women read the passages about fasting and didn't just go, eh, whatevs. But they went, wow, maybe God's onto something here. Wow, Lord, would you have me fast sometime? Wow, the pastor's sure talking about this fast a lot. Do you think maybe God wants to do something in my life in a corporate nature with the church? He does. He does. Let the Lord purpose in your heart to be a part of this fast this year. Uh, are you ready to have heightened sensitivity to the desires of God? Do you want to break away from sin and bondage that's been holding you hostage? Do you want to break away from habits and addictions? The book of Isaiah chapter 58, we'll read in a little bit, says it's through times of fasting that that happens. Do you desire to know God's will for your life? In the scripture, we see fasting is a means of humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord. And seeing, I'm a sinner. Look at this sin that I've been just tromping around this whole last year and I haven't expressed sorrow or grief over it. Man, this is a time to like agonize and weep in sorrow and humble myself in the sight of the Lord. Fasting is directly connected with direction, knowing which way we should go with our families as a church, as a community. Fasting is directly connected with insight and revelation from God. Uh, with fasting comes God's divine intervention in the Bible, like everyone's gonna die and they pray and fast and everyone lives. In fact, they totally conquered the enemy. We're gonna read that in 2 Chronicles 20. Fasting is a spiritual weapon that is mighty in God for pulling down strongholds that normally wouldn't have been pulled down. Uh, uh, Arthur Wallace, again, in giving us the privilege of fasting as well as praying, God has added a powerful weapon to our armory. In her folly and ignorance, the church has largely looked upon it as obsolete and she has thrown it down in some dark corner to rust and there it is laid for centuries. An hour of impending crisis for the church and the world demands its recovery. All right, so you've got on your horizon what you know is on your horizon. Tough stuff, 
difficult stuff. Maybe it's just, I don't long for God at all. Or maybe it's you've got cancer or maybe it's, you know, there's an enemy in your life and there's a battle raging. Um, where is fasting at in your, in your life? Is it tossed behind you in some dark corner, left there to rust and be unused? Man, this is, these are crises. It's impend, impending crises that the church would be called this week to, to pull it out of the corner and clean it off and dust it off and say, Lord, here's a weapon. Here's a tool that you've given us that I've been neglecting to use. Fasting with a pure heart and right motives can provide with a key, us with a key to unlock doors where other keys have failed. Uh, it's so sad that fasting is a subject that's neglected by most Christians, most churches. It's totally undiscovered by others. Uh, but we see in the scriptures, you look at the Old Testament, Abraham's servant, when he was looking for a wife for Isaac, what did he do? Fasted. All right, so as you're waiting to marry off your children or to get married, spend time fasting, okay? Um, as as um, Moses was on Mount Sinai, and, and not only did he walk down with the tablets and he sees the sexual immorality and the idolatry going on, so he crashes those. He had spent 40 days and 40 nights without bread or water before that happened. Then you know what he went and did? Spent another 40 days and 40 nights Total fast again, all right? Um, most will say, man, that was like a, the, God, the Holy Spirit did that in him. That wasn't like a call that everybody has, like total fast. You, you die. Maybe God wants you to die. I don't know. But talk to your elders about it before you go and do something like that. Um, we might still counsel you on it. But um, <laughs> Hannah, when she was praying for a baby, she was barren. She fasted and prayed. And we see that God moved in her life and brought Samuel. David on several occasions in the Psalm, you see his enemies were sick. And rather than rejoicing in that, he fasted and prayed and bowed his head down to the Lord. And he was given compassion for his enemies, like a mother would have for her child or a brother would have for his sibling. He also fasted when his um, child from Bathsheba was sick. Elijah fasted um, when he went down to the same mountain, Mount Sinai, after his victory with Jezebel, he also fasted 40 days and 40 nights without bread or water. Um, Ezra fasted when he was mourning over Israel's unfaithfulness. Uh, Israel fasted when they were seeking direction. Nehemiah was preparing a trip to go and, and rebuild the wall, and God provided protection and provision and blessing from the king uh, through this time of fasting. Esther uh, it lived in a day when the Jews were threatened with annihilation and God moved a three-day total fast among the nation and, um, and God radically intervened. Nineveh, the, the city that Jonah was supposed to go to and then he was swallowed by a whale and then spit up and then he finally went there. He preached the gospel and, and immediately the, the president or the king of the nation calls for a fast to mourn over their sin. And after the revival took place in Nineveh, they fasted again. Uh, a snippet of next week's study in the New Testament, Jesus fasted in preparation of his public ministry. The early church fasted when they were preparing to send out missionaries or appoint church leaders. Uh, Paul, the spiritual giant, says he fasted often. In church history, we'll look at some of this next week. Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, David Brainerd, John Wesley, uh, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, E.M. Bounds, Andrew Murray, all write in their journals how fasting was a powerful part of their lives. Uh, we're going to go through just a quick Old Testament survey on a few of just some of the incredible examples of fasting. And uh, the first one's in Judges 20, 26. Um, you might remember the story, and we're going to read it. Um, 
you know, on our, on our final days in the fast, where um, an Israelite man was traveling, an old man with his concubine. She was riding on the donkey. Uh, and as they were traveling, they came to a certain village and they slept out in kind of the city square when they were invited to come into another man's house. Uh, and, and yet he left his concubine outside. Pretty soon a threat of Benjamite mobsters came and, uh, and basically they ravaged this concubine and raped this woman um, while she was outside this house. And the old man wouldn't open up the door and did nothing to save. In fact, he gave, sorry, he gave this concubine so that it would protect himself. Uh, and then after they had their way with her, uh, she crawled back to the doorstep and tried to knock on the door. In the morning time, they open the door, they find her dead. And so the old man chops her up into 12 pieces, just a generous guy who'd love to have own you, um, chops her up into 12 pieces and ships her across uh, the nation of Israel to show how rude the Benjamites were. And when the rest of Israel heard about this, they, they called Benjamin to repent as a tribe, and yet Benjamin wouldn't protect, so, or wouldn't repent. And so Israel comes to battle against the Benjamites. Israel and all of their tribes and all of their armies had 400,000 men in their army. And they were going to battle against a mere 26,000 Benjamites. And so when they went and they attacked Benjamin, Benjamin actually started knocking them out of the ballpark. Benjamin was actually winning and he killed 22,000 Israelites. Uh, and so uh, they went and they like cried and they wept and they licked their wounds and then they prayed and God said, go up, go fight them. So they went back and they were fighting and Benjamin won again. And this time they lost 18,000. And so they went back, what is going on? And they prayed and they wept and this time they fasted and the Lord said go up and they went and they had uh, the victory in fact as you read in Judges chapter 20 uh, in verse 18 we read they prayed and they lost in verse 23 they prayed and they wept until evening and they lost in verse 26 of Judges 20 they fasted and they won and you read about it in verse 26 all the children of Israel that is all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept they sat before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, uh, and jump down to the end of verse 28, and they cried out, shall I yet again go to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or should we cease? And the Lord said, go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the, and the children, I, I think I jumped there, we're in verse 35. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites, all these that drew the sword. And so when they fasted and prayed, God gave the victory. A similar situation is in Jehoshaphat, uh, where in second, in second Chronicles 20, with the story of King Jehoshaphat, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Um, Judah, King of Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, uh, was under attack by three different armies. Some three million man army was coming up towards Jerusalem. They were at En Gedi, they were getting close. And Jehoshaphat uh, didn't know what to do. And it says there, Jehoshaphat, the king, feared. And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim to fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask them for help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And then in uh, verse 12b, for we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. This is his prayer. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And you know, maybe you're in a place right now in your life where you feel like a three million man army is coming up against you. Uh, I encourage you uh, to... Proclaim a fast in your life. 
and to pray the prayer of Jehoshaphat, we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so it's interesting that as they uh, prayed that out, verse 13, all Judah with their little ones, their wives, their children stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a prophet. And he said, verse 15, listen, all of you, Judah, all who inhabit Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. And verse 17 says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. You know, interesting, my first fast was when I was praying about going and starting a church. And uh, there was a lot of stress in our lives. We had a time frame when we had to, you know, when I'd lose my job at Calvary Corvallis. And uh, we didn't know where we were going. We were praying and fasting. And God gave this verse to my wife that uh, we just needed to position ourselves in prayer and in fasting before the Lord. The battle wasn't ours to fight. Because um, we didn't know what to do, but our eyes were on the Lord. And amazing, God went before us and opened up the doors to come to Prineville. And so when Jehoshaphat had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing before the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. As they went out before the army, they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who'd come against Judah, and they were defeated. Uh, maybe this is you, you know, you're surrounded on every side. You don't know what to do. Um, and the Lord would say to you, Hey, get your eyes on me during this week of fasting and prayer. This battle is not for you to fight. Just position yourself, position your heart and watch me fight and win. He's faithful to do just that. And so we see they set the worship band out in the front of the arm. I mean, we're going to do that if we ever go to war. Sent, sorry, Kendra and Tammy and you guys are, Hey, I, they went out in front of the battle and just sent the worshipers out and it caused confusion and everybody killed each other. The Lord set a great ambush. And uh, we see that prayer and fasting led to this great victory. In fact, as you read the rest of the account, um, it took three days for Judah to plunder the spoil from all of these enemies. When we fast in response to our situation or just knowing who God is, and scripture shows us we can expect great Victories. Ezra in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21 says that he proclaimed a fast at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God. So, fasting a great way to let your pride, prideful walls, and prideful self be brought low. The Lord wants to do that in you. And, and it was also to seek from Him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. And maybe you're here and you've got big decisions for the family buying a house. Buying a car, having more children, investing money, whatever it might be, moving. Get brothers and sisters around you that will fast along with you and cry out for wisdom that you might know direction for you and for your little ones. John Piper says they were hungry enough for God's leading that they wanted to say it with not only the hunger of their bodies, or excuse me, they wanted to say it with the hunger of their bodies and not just the hunger of their hearts. That's what fasting does. Lord, I'm showing you with the hunger of my body. Nehemiah was a faster. Esther was a faster. Uh, and Esther, the children of Israel, almost annihilated by wicked Haman. And, uh, and she called for a total fast for three days. 
and the Lord actually, you know the door, he opened, or you know the, the road that the Lord took, he opened up the door for King Artaxerxes to um, see the plot behind Haman, and it was Haman that ended up hanging on the gallows that day. And we can learn something from Esther, that in times of great national crisis, a nation should pray. On 9-11, we should have prayed and fasted. I didn't, you know. Um, Pearl Harbor Day, pray and fasting time. Uh, you know, times like this where the Supreme Court is, is thinking of uh, overturning the definition of marriage and allowing gay marriage in our country, uh, the church should be fasting and praying. Uh, times like this where we are uh, trying to stop taxpayer-funded abortions in Oregon and we're looking ahead now to 2014 for that that vote, um, the church should be fasting and praying. Uh, in World War II, the king called the British to a day of prayer. Two centuries earlier, England was called to a solemn day of fasting and prayer. Could you imagine President Obama? Like, I'm calling this nation to fast and pray and humble themselves and ask God to move for our country. Like, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, we, we, we could dream a dream, right? Totally. Um, but they, the nation was called to a day of fasting and prayer because they were threatened invasion by the nation of France. On Friday, February 6, 1756, John Wesley writes in his journal, The fast was a glorious day, one that London had scarce seen since the Restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God will hear our prayer, and there will be a lengthening of our tranquility. What's beautiful is he wrote a footnote in his journal that uh, after the, the conflict was over, and he says, humility was turned to national rejoicing, for the threat of invasion by the French was averted. Isn't that awesome? Just hear of like God moving for a whole nation uh, as they fasted and prayed. And so on a church level, Arthur Wallace says, if there was a local church threatened with discord and division, if spiritual life was waning and worldliness was abounding, if conversions were few and backslidings were frequent, would not this be a time when leaders would call, should call the church to prayer and fasting? And every year I read that and I go, Lord, there's still spiritual lives waning in our church. Lord, there's still worldliness abounding. Even in my own life, Lord, conversions seem to be few in our church. Backslidings seem frequent. It's a time, once again, to call the church to fasting. I've got seven minutes before you guys can look at me with contempt. Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58, 3 through 11. We're not going to read it all, but this powerful... Um, passage on fasting and how not to fast, okay? Essentially, don't fast and be a jerk like Cheryl was saying. But when you fast, give your food that you're not eating to the poor. Love on people. Uh, humble yourself. And in verse 6, uh, Isaiah says, is this not the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Does that, is anybody, yeah, oh, that's me. I've got wickedness in my life. That's me. I've got a heavy burden on my shoulders. I, I'm oppressed. I've got a yoke of bondage. He goes on to say in verse eight, when you fast, your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing shall break forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. God responds to fasting. And by his grace, he responds to fasting. And as you look at verse 10, the second half of verse 10, your light will dawn in the darkness. Your darkness will be like noonday. 
The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Man, if you feel like you're in a time of darkness, if you feel dry, if you like, feel like a garden that hasn't been watered in like three weeks, come fast. Come seek the Lord. Waters will spring up and hydrate your soul. Waters that do not fail, Isaiah says. You know, the opposite of that is Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, Ezekiel tells us what their problem was. You know, the, God, the wrath of God went down on them with fire and brimstone and big salt city, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. Ezekiel says, this is the iniquity. This was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Her daughter, she and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundant of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And man, if this doesn't describe me, if this doesn't describe America and all of our just gluttony and all of us just everything we want, we've got like at the tip of our fingers and we're just idle and lazy and just, man, you know, Billy Graham said it rightly, you know, if God doesn't judge America, he needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And may we take the example and the, while we've got it, to fast and to pray and to cry out for God's mercy upon us. In closing, eh, eh, um, <clears throat> Zechariah 7.5 tells us the most important reason for fasting. He says this, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months of those 70 years, did you really fast for me? And then I like this, for me? What's fasting about? I want this, God, so yeah, I'm not going to eat for a little while. What is it about? It's really, ultimately, for his glory, to know him more, to exalt him, to further him and his kingdom. We fast for him. Come on up, worship team. Wallace says, this is surely the loftiest conception that it is a worshiping or a ministering to the Lord, a giving of ourselves to God, and only secondary, a means to secure certain spiritual ends. The prophet Joel says this when he consecrates a fast. The Lord says through Joel, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Prineville. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred special assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregations. Assemble the elders. And I know what you're thinking. Thank goodness my name's not mentioned. I don't have to go. I don't need to be a part of this. Hey, gather the children. The nursing babes. Them too? Them too. Let the bridegroom go out of his chamber and the bride for her dressing room. You know what that tells me? We have so many important things in our lives that would hinder us from pressing into the Lord during this week of, of spiritual emphasis. Many things. Let me ask you, is it as important as your wedding day? Because Joel is saying, you're a bride in there, you know, getting your little girdle thing tightened and whatever else, you know. <laughs> Thank you for turning the lights off. It's just time to end. <laughs> and the trumpet blows in Zion for a fast. Guess what? Your special day needs to wait. 
These are times when you need to realize it's not about you. It's about him. So think about those important things that would stop you from coming and say, you know what? It ain't my wedding. (laughs) And even if it was, God would say, come. We're blowing the trumpet in Prineville. We're calling the church to a fast. For intimacy to be realized and restored with Jesus. For vision and direction for world missions and church planting. For raising up of more elders and deacons and leaders and ministry heads. For revival at Calvary Chapel of Crook County. Repentance of sin. Outpouring of gifts. The Holy Spirit to just baptize us afresh. We fast for the delivery of the mentally ill and and those that are um, in bondage to substance abuse and pornography. We'll fast for marriages and for families and for kids and for parents, for unity, for purity, for those that have one foot in the world and who are lukewarm, for those who are not plugged into the body. God would say to you, be stretched. Right now you're a drop of water and God wants to make you a tidal wave, part of something much bigger. We're going to close. I'm going to close with this song and I'm going to just lay out uh, the week. Go ahead, Kendra. As we, as we sing, you know, as we sing this song, wonderful choice of a song for today. You know, if you are, if you've been part of this church in years past and you've never participated, man, I, as a shepherd that God's appointed over you, I plead with you to be part of this fast. Um, those of you that have excuses, maybe really pressing important things, would you just ask the Lord, Lord, is there any way I can should pause this or or say no to those things during this week. I'll do it if you want me to, God. And if you're here and and you, maybe you came in and you were like, nope, not gonna participate, not at all. But maybe there's just a teeny, teeny bit of you sensing the Lord prying on your heart with the crowbar of the Holy Spirit saying, I want this for you. And if that's you during this song, Will you stand and just say, Lord, I hear you. My flesh is weak. I don't want to do it. I've got a thousand things I'd rather do, but I hear you, God. And and you could stand today and just respond and say, Lord, help me. Clear my schedule. Give me power. Give me strength because you're calling me to do this and I want to obey. And so as we close in song, stand up if that's you. If that's not you and you're just, nope, I've heard it four times now, Rory, and I'm not going to do it, then just go ahead and be seated, you know. But if you want to respond to the Lord and hear the call of your God upon your life, then stand and allow him to, to have you, to have all of you in the week to come. And this week as you prepare for the fast. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.